You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Fully Occupied podcast. I'm your co-host, Lauren Barr, VP of Finance at Occupier, and I'm here today with Denise Henkel, and we're doing something a little bit different today. This is episode two of a three-part series where we're running through OCP's three keys to accelerate your real estate initiatives. The first episode was all about organization. This episode is about consistency, and the last episode will be about product. Before we dive into it, Denise, do you want to give everyone a glimpse into your background? Sure. It's really great to be here with everybody today, and thanks for the opportunity, Lauren. Um, oh it's God, exciting yeah. because for, for me, like I, I'm a trained accountant. I've spent my entire career in real estate and really seen this industry um, inside and out from many different perspectives. I've worked on behalf of owners and developers. I've seen it from Big Four Consulting. I've seen it from the occupier side. And I've also seen it from, you know, independent consultant and service provider angle as well. Um, so really what that all means is I have a whole lot of stories and a whole lot of experience um, that I hope to bring to the table for you today. Yeah, definitely. And I think the very first time we met, we may have been drinking probably our cocktail of choice, but then we naturally started talking about 842 and the Lisa County and implement, uh, implement implications. And so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing on us, but we instantly just went to talking about accounting. <laughs> It just means we're both bean counters. What can I say? Yeah, right. Uh, exactly, exactly. And so um, it's very exciting. That's when I knew that we had to get you on the podcast, do webinars, do all of the things because I just love chatting with you. Uh, cool. So the thesis of this episode when we were going through it is really all about consistency, but also trying to answer how can you accelerate your real estate initiatives so that they hum like a train and those trains are always on time. So when you think about building an efficient process, Denise, where do you even start? I think for, for me, the way that my brain works, and I think this works for a lot of companies and a lot of teams, is you really need to understand what the outcome is going to be. You know, in, in the case of talking about real estate firms, is the outcome, and we'll, we'll go to like lease administration and tracking your leases, you know, first, is the outcome just to be to calculate things like lease accounting and 842 calculations? Is the outcome that you need to manage your portfolio? Is the outcome that you're looking for robust reporting? And if you take that and you build backwards from that, I think that's really how you can get that efficient process. There's a lot of things that go into that, as you know, like you need to consider, you know, the, the stakeholders and what their inputs and outputs are. Um, and you really need to take a holistic view of what you're trying to accomplish and take it from where you are today and build that into where you want to go. Yeah, totally. And so, I mean, even if you've built these processes, maybe you're a little bit more of a mature of a company. How do you even know that, shoot, we may want to revamp some of these things to, so changing your existing processes, like what are some indicators that tell you, Hey, we should probably look at this again. 
Sure. So I'll, I'll just, you know, preface this by saying like building it from scratch for a new organization or a new team is completely different than evaluating where you're at if you have something existing in place. And really you for revamping or revisiting your existing processes, you need to look and see like what is the driver and what is the reason behind that? Um, some of those reasons could be that either you had a complete change in your team, you know, mm -hmm. high levels of turnover. Maybe you've gone through um, a round of layoffs. Maybe your most senior person has left. That could be one indicator. Other indicators are like, let's look and see, is something just not working right? Or is the outcome not consistent? Are you seeing things that are affecting the outcome where as a company, you're not providing the same level of consistency and the same level of consistent output that you used to. Uh, and I think in that, you know, those cases, it's a really good idea to just kind of revisit, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it and see if there needs to be some kinds of tweaks or changes to your process. Yeah, totally. Sometimes I find that people just get so used to the process that this is how it's been, this is how it's always going to be. And that you don't always allow yourself to step back and look at it. One of the questions that I like to ask my teams is, okay, if you could not do something that you currently do all the time, what would it be? Just not because that they're not going to be doing that task anymore, but maybe that is a way to identify, oh, this is a huge pain point for my team. Let's figure out how we can make this process better because X, Y, and Z is something that they really don't want to do anymore. And that's probably not on the cards, but let's change the way that we do X, Y, and Z instead. Yeah, I think it's really easy for teams and for people, like you said, to just kind of get in that rut of this is how we've always done it. This is we're going to how we're going to do it. But over time, because you have people whose skills and knowledge are growing, you have technological or technology tools that are changing and evolving. And there are all these other things that are happening that unless you're willing to take that step back and take a holistic view, you're not going to be able to see or gain efficiencies and take advantage of new skills, new experience, new knowledge, new technology, unless mm -hmm. you're willing to say like, can we be doing this better? Right. Totally. You know, what yeah. are you kind of seeing, you know, with regards for, you know, how teams are building responsibilities and, and, you know, revisiting their processes. Yeah. So, you know, as far as revisiting processes and things like that, like what I've seen work really well when you're trying to build this repeatable process, like similar to what you said, you always start with that goal in mind and then work towards that. And when thinking about consistency and making sure everyone's following that process that you've outlined, I think some things that really help is to just write the new process down, get it on paper, get it easily accessible for everyone involved in the process to know exactly what their responsibilities are, what they're expected to do. Also make it easy to read. Okay. If it's a hundred page document for a process that takes three minutes to complete, that document is probably never going to get read, even though you spent so much time writing a novel on X, Y, and Z process, simply not going to be read. So you want to have training materials that really 
suit the process that you're trying to build, make it easily accessible, but also have regular refresh trainings for current employees or even new employees getting caught up to speed on how uh, things are done. And I, you know, to your point earlier too, like you don't want to get stuck in this rut that a repeatable process is what you want, but you also don't want it to be too rigid because both processes have to evolve as businesses evolve. And if you're so rigid with that, you're not going to be able to suit the business needs five years from now because your, your process is probably going to have to change, keep up with the business. For sure. uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it it is, you know, you have to have flexibility. Obviously, that's one of the best practices is to have yeah. some sort of flexibility. And it really depends, I think, on what kind of process you're documenting and putting into place. Like if you're doing a repeatable process because you're, you know, building a widget, you're going to have, I think, less flexibility in that process to get a consistent product on the back end mm -hmm. as opposed to like if you are providing services or you're providing technology, it needs to be flexible because each individual customer and each individual client is going to have different needs and need a slightly different outcome, right? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to like best practices for this stuff, I think number one is to have a process. Like, you, yeah. can't, you know, so many companies, I think in, in this day and age, it's amazing to me, don't have a process. And, and I know mm -hmm. early you mentioned like not having a, you know, hundred page document for a three minute process. I still think that there's value in the hundred page document. I think you need to boil it down into a flow chart or something that lists responsibilities, you know, in swim lanes and have some kind of a flow chart to graphically represent what the process looks like. Yeah, I don't think that you can necessarily discount the need for more detailed information. Yes. At some point, the question is going to come up. Yeah, totally. Hey, I'm all for a lengthy process manual if it warrants it. You know, if if the magnitude of the process, the materiality of the process warrants a hundred page doc. Hey, I'm for it. Yeah. But maybe not the most simple right? things. <laughs> Use that for your internal controls testing. At the end yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So what kind of tips do you have for like managing people when it comes to this? Have you, you know, come across any, any things that, you know, you could offer? Good ideas? Yeah. You know, especially in finance, I found, you know, finance very much supports all areas of the business. And so for us in particular, I think we need to always be mindful of what everyone else is trying to accomplish in this new process so that you can really understand, oh, this is how we should be building it. And also be thinking more of that team mentality that we were talking about on the last week's episode was more of like, okay, my finance goals are not go ever going to trump real estate goals or HR's goals or any other goals, but you need to work together, understand everyone's goals and figure out a way to intertwine that into your process. Uh, another thing that I found to be helpful is that, you know, when you remember that you have to keep your eyes on the problem. So uh, someone once said to me a few years back, she was fantastic. She was our accounts payable associate. And she said to me, you know, you have to be tough on problems, not on people. That was something that really stuck with me that, hey, 
this may be a problem for X, Y, and Z, but don't be mean to people about it. You know, it's your job as a group to get to where you want to be because I'm sure a lot of people are upset, not just you at the problem. Yeah, I'd, I'd add into that while you're, you know, you want to be tough on the problems is I think, you know, the more diverse team you have, the better the outcome is going to be. And I know we touched on this on the last episode a little bit, but I mean, truly, if you're thinking about like being tough on the problem, I'm, you know, big enough and I'm sure you are too, to know that I might not have all the ideas. Yeah, many times totally. the best ideas are going to come from the most unexpected place, right? Oh, might yeah. have that solution. And that could be that one person that has just got a completely different background, maybe not even related to the problem. It could be like, hey, have you thought about it in XYZ manner? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, it's probably why the accounts payable associate said that to us was that we were trying to solve, you know, broken accounts payable process. And so she was probably the least senior person on the team, but was able to bring out this insight, which is kind of the motto for the finance team as soon as she said it, which is kind of cool. Uh, so going back, like the finance team, we often have a different set of metrics or definitions versus the real estate team oftentimes has different kind of a glossary of terms, right? So how do you figure out how to wrangle in everyone and make sure everyone's kind of reading from the same book. They're all speaking the same language. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, situation and I've seen it handled a lot of different ways. And I think one of the most efficient and effective ways to do it is to make sure that everybody has an equal voice. Everybody mm -hmm. has to have input um, into the process and the problem and, and really trying to figure out you know, where we're at today, where we're going, you know, tomorrow and how you get there. That's the first thing. I think the second thing to get everybody on the same page is to really to map the process. You know, you need to have yeah. a process, but you also need to document that process, right? And I think if you can get documentation and then get buy-in from all of the different stakeholders, that'll go a long way into making sure that everybody's kind of moving in the same direction. Um, I've also seen, you know, companies that have been very successful with like creating a, you know, a glossary or a terms. How many companies have you been involved with that? Everything is acronyms. Oh my God. Got... So many acronyms that, yeah. A lot of times when you start a new job, you just get a glossary of acronyms that are specific to this company. Yeah. I've never heard this it, in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, it's a very basic. People are like, why do we want to spend time doing this? But if you're that new person trying to learn how all the pieces fit together. I think that having that, that dictionary, you know, goes a long way. If someone says, you know, triple net lease, for example, in some instances, it might mean the tenants paying rent and they're, you know, responsible for procuring security, cleaning, landscaping, and all the rest of that. And in another company, I've seen triple net means I'm paying base rent to the landlord the landlord is contracting for all the services, but I also have to pay for those on top of my rent, right? Mm, Two completely yeah. different situations. And unless you know from which perspective that's coming from, you could make a big mistake unintentionally. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's the same word, so <laughs> I know. <laughs> it same makes word, it even harder. Yeah, yeah, totally. Kind of crazy. Yeah. What about, 
you know, going back to that team concept, you know, how do you build trust? You know, you get this process put into place and you, you know, try to get everybody's input, but there is a level of trust, I think, that's required yeah. in order for this to be successful. Yeah, totally. I think in all walks of life, trust is something that is earned and not given. And it's also a two-way street. I think managers need to gain the trust of the people that they manage and vice versa. The individual contributors have to trust their manager and all of that stuff. And so from the manager perspective, one way I think we can gain trust is maybe to be more vulnerable with the individuals that we manage, let them into, you know, see, you know, some struggles that you're dealing with, kind of help them into the, help them, invite them into the process that you're trying to solve for. Uh, And then another thing is just be very clear with your expectations, over communicate everything, over communicate the process, make sure that you're coaching them. I've always found that investing in coaching very early on especially when you have a new process, a new employee on your team, invest that time up front to coach them up because it's going to pay extreme dividends in an accounting firm, accounting term, of course, uh, for how much more productive that individual is. And then from an individual perspective, I think if you're trying to gain your boss's trust, you know, a couple of ways that are easy to do that is hey, just make sure all of your deadlines are met. And if you don't think they're going to be met, letting them know sooner rather than later that X, Y, and Z is not going to be done because this, but this is your plan to attack it. Always keep that open communication upwards too. And then ensuring that, hey, the quality of work is high, that you are following everything that you've outlined in the process document to AT, you are trained up and you're executing it. Uh, I think are a couple of ways that you can gain trust of your boss. Yeah, I think it goes back to that vulnerability. Like if if things are going wrong or, or you're not going to make a deadline or yeah, it's just it's going to implode. It's it, I think it's better to be vulnerable and say like, hey, this is this is a a chance that this is going to happen. You know, whether or not you're responsible for it, if you're responsible for it, you just got to own it. And I know that yeah. can be difficult to be that vulnerable, especially you know, with your boss or your boss's boss, you know, that could be challenging. And I agree with you on the communication part too. Like I was involved in a project a couple of years ago. It was an 842 implementation. It was a global implementation. And, um, you know, I was in charge or, or helping a client implement over in Asia and we flew all the way over there. Oh, wow. To like, you know, on the ground, boots on the ground, a wow. huge presentation, the nine yards they never told the Asia Pacific team that there were changes coming. And that's what happened. It failed. It was awful. In the end, it failed. It was very difficult to gain that trust because they had been kept in the dark. And it was a situation where you had a corporate office that was making all the decisions on behalf of all the different stakeholders around the globe. And they're like, they're just going to have to live with it. Well, yeah, kind of backfired on them. Yeah. And it made life way more difficult than it needed to be. Oh my God. I can imagine you're rolling into Asia. Okay. So 842, you're going to have to do it. And they're like, wait a second. What? (laughs) What is 842? Because they're dealing with different standards. B, 
what do you mean, you know, mm -hmm. corporate is taking over and then see why didn't I have a voice in, in yeah. any of that? Yeah. Right. So corral all the stakeholders before you yeah. make massive changes to your process. Over communicate big time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So one of the more, you know, consistent negative pieces of news that we've been getting a lot is it seems like you really can't go a day without hearing of some companies layoffs. So how do you think the employee turnover impacts processes? Well, it's generally not good, right? <laughs> but yeah. honestly, you know, if you're in a in a mass layoff where you're really restructuring an organization, even if you're just replacing one or two stakeholders, you can view it as an opportunity. It really is one of those, you know, in a in a layoff situation, it it really is one of those things that happen that really should make you reevaluate or trigger your revamping and reevaluating of your process, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to be doing the same amount of work with fewer people. Yep. And to the extent you're worried about segregating duties within that process, you need to make sure from an internal control standpoint that those duties are still segregated, but you have still have an end-to-end -end process and there's no gaps that are gonna create a problem with getting the desired outcome. Um, you could also view it as an opportunity that it's an it's time for you know new skills and new experience to be brought into the team of stakeholders and you should take advantage of that you know yes it's a lot of work yes it's the last thing i think that anybody wants to do <laughs> when they're trying to wrap their arms around like what does this mean for the you know the company and the team at large but it really is an opportunity to really make improvements and make it more efficient and better for everybody yeah, I'm sure that if your department gets cut in half, the first thing that you're going to be super excited about is, oh, great, we can make our process better and more efficient because yeah. we can do everything with just half the amount of people. I'm sure people aren't like jumping for joy to do that, but it is a huge point. It's an opportunity to just, you know, let's see what we can do with this, uh, with this group of people. Maybe some things can no longer be done, figuring out which ones get kind of, you know, chucked along, they're no longer be done because the critical areas are still going to be covered. Uh, I think it also, with these layoffs, it even makes it more important to have processes outlined because, hey, if the person standing next to you that does this subset of activities is no longer here, you need to have absolute coverage in that. And what is an opportunity from the perspective of people that stay on board is that, okay, you actually get to learn a little bit more than what you were. So you might be exposed to more activities than you would have before, which is kind of cool too. Yeah. I think, you know, from a real estate group, as long as the rent gets paid, right. That's the, yeah. you can't, you can't default on your yeah, lease. You can't miss any critical sure dates. That is like primary thing that has to happen. Yeah. You know, aside from that, you really just need to make sure that you're protecting the interests of the company, whether that be integrity and accuracy of, of data that's in your system to, you know, making sure that everybody's aware of what their new responsibilities are after a restructure or layoff, because everybody's mm -hmm. got to pick up, you know, perhaps some of those pieces of work, right? Yeah. But number one is definitely make sure the rents are paid on time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Kind of, 
So in that vein, for people that are trying to build a more robust real estate engine, what are some things that they're definitely going to need besides making sure they're paying the rent on time? Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's it really around real estate, it really comes around that data, right? Like you, everybody is going to need to track certain basic information, like their obligations for payments to landlords, their critical dates, and what their rights are under that lease. You know, when you get to a more robust kind of level of what everybody needs, it really is dependent upon what that data is going to be used for. You know, mm -hmm. are you looking for high level reporting? Are you looking to combine your portfolio data with outside sources to drive additional insights? And once you determine like what those other uses are for that data, that really is going to kind of drive, you know, again, it's that, you know, outbound or output or goal based mm -hmm. analysis. And what do we need to do to get there? Yeah, totally. What are you seeing with like consistency? I mean, I know we've talked to, you know, a lot about it, but when you're talking about like deliverables, do you think that there can truly be consistency in deliverables and how do you streamline that and determine what those are? Yeah. You know, for finance, I definitely think there can be consistency and you can build uh, more repeatable processes because everything in finance oftentimes revolves around a calendar, right? You have the same month end close processes. You go through the same processes for your audit when you're building out your financial statements. And so building repeatable processes in finance may be more intuitive versus other parts of the business that may be more of a transactional based item. So when I think about finance, a lot of the reporting, especially now under 842, there's going to be a lot of pressure to streamline your monthly journal entries to support ASC 842. And with that, that means going back to your point on the data, you need to have your data readily accessible so that you can analyze if anything's changed period over period, any of your assumptions that have changed or if you had any new leases or amendments during the period, making sure that you have all of that information easily accessible that you can then take it to apply 842 standards in a very quick way so that your monthly journal entries are like clockwork, right? And then from there, I think you also want to be able to streamline your financial statement disclosures process. It may only happen quarterly or annually, depending on if you're public or private, but you don't want to be spinning your wheels trying to manually put together your like future obligations report, even though it's like the simplest thing to do. There's so much, so much room for error on that because yeah. you're usually combining so many different sources of data that, Hey, if you can have that data structured, preferably living in a software somewhere that you can just easily export it. I mean, that that would save my team a lot of time because probably the least accounting footnote when, I mean, I do it now, I do it for a lot of our customers now, is usually not the most fun thing to consistently do if you're doing it manually. Yeah. Uh, so I think leveraging for, you know, finance too, it's interesting because we are constantly getting bombarded with all of these new accounting standards and it would be 
impossible to be experts on every single thing that gets thrown at you. And so leveraging a software like Occupier helps because it allows you to not be an expert in 842, but still be compliant with the standard. So I know a lot of people want to become experts in the standard, but they don't have to. <laughs> they don't want yeah. to. I remember the days where it was just literally a straight line rent type calculation, <laughs> easily done in Excel, no matter how many leases you had. You right. Know, and that ship has sailed. I think, you know, understanding what, you know, finance needs for those disclosures really yeah. helps when you're a real estate team, because truly it needs to be a partnership, I think, yeah. between those two functions, because you can't do what you need to do in finance unless we're doing what we need to do on the real estate side of things. Yeah. You know, and while your processes are, are scheduled from a finance perspective, pretty much to a calendar, we can have standard processes for pretty much everything. They're just not calendared in many cases, like right. because leases are negotiated throughout the year or throughout a period. We always know that rent's going to be paid on the 25th of the prior month. We always mm -hmm. know that you might have another, you know, mid-month payment run and you're always going to be abstracting leases, but it can't, isn't always going to be on the same day of each month. Right. Unlike finance. Yeah. Right. It's like clockwork. Day one, you do cash. Day three, you do your lease accounting right. entries. Like it is down to a science, that level of granularity of when exactly you're going to do things. And so, I mean, I feel, I feel that's why I think real estate and finance, especially to build out a robust lease accounting process, they basically need to be married because they need to be lockstep because from a real estate perspective, I'm sure that they don't really appreciate finance teams constantly nagging them. Uh, did this close? Are we paying rent yet? Did we get the keys to the new retail location yet? Yada, yada, yada. And so having, you know, a tool to help them collaborate over the same data, because we all use the same data. It's just leveraged differently based on your role, real estate versus finance. Uh, but I definitely think those two roles need to be basically in lockstep with each other. Yeah. And I think smart organizations really have figured this out when they were implementing for 842. They realized that, you know, lease administrators are not just office clerks anymore. They need <laughs> yeah. to know accounting. They need to be able to read legal documents. And it's really elevated, you know, their responsibilities and what they need to be able to do. Um and there should be that, you know, single source of truth. There's no reason why there should be a duplication of effort with yeah. real estate maintaining all of this data and financing maintaining a separate set of data, because then that creates a, what happens if there's a difference? Who's going to reconcile it? Yeah, um, totally. Right? Whereas if you can, you know, coordinate all of these efforts using a single you know, entry or single abstraction of data into a single technology solution to serve both purposes, you're ahead of the game. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, I agree with that. It's probably the reason why I'm at Occupier. <laughs> I believe, I believe in that vision. Um, so to end this episode off, I wanted to follow suit with the last episode and kind of end it with a little bit of a zinger. Uh, in your opinion, who drives consistency more? Is it the process or the people? Ooh, 
I'm going to say that it's the process. Oh, I'm going with process because okay. while your people, yes, they need to be consistent with what they do. If you don't have a process, they're never going to be consistent because they don't know what that standard is. Right. So I'm, I'm going to say process all day long. They're not that they need to be robots because as we talked about, they need to have some, you know, latitude to build some flexibility into that process. But I think for everybody to be successful, the process needs to take priority. Mm, Got it. Well, I, I tend to maybe disagree here. I think people drive more consistency because even depending, I think, if you have people that aren't paying attention to the process or maybe they just, you know, make a little mistake, I think people that are locked in that know what they're doing can drive consistency maybe a little bit more than just a process document. And I think people are the ones that know exactly what they're trying to get out of a scenario. And so sometimes the process itself can't keep up with the people with how fast things are evolving. And so sometimes I think the people actually drive the consistency. Hey, they're the ones actually doing the work anyway, right? A process is just a document. It's the people that are the engine behind the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, the process isn't always just the document. The document is what's, you know, written up to support the process. The process is actually how information and documents and data flows through the organization. And I think if it's done right and you have, you know, a good, efficient, best practices type process, I think you really set yourself up for increased efficiencies and for, you know, overall success within your organization. So mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my stake in the sand and say okay. it is still processed. Okay, Sorry. okay. <laughs> the drama of this. Uh but yeah, it's tough. I'd love to hear what the viewers are thinking on this. If it's the, the process or the people, uh let us know on LinkedIn or hit us up on email to what you think is driving more consistent. See, is it the process or the people? Uh, And with that, I will conclude episode two, all about uh, consistency. I'm excited. The next session is going to be on product itself. We started talking a little bit about product today when we were talking about data, the structure of that, when you know that you may need a product to help really elevate your real estate strategy. Uh, But there's more to come on uh, the next episode. And with that, I'll leave you all. Thank you so much, Denise. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Of course. Of course. We'll see you next episode. See you next time.